<laughs> the following podcast is produced or sponsored by a community member. The contents, views, and opinions expressed are those of the participants and do not reflect those of BMC or the town of Belmont. BMC welcomes your comments. Call us at 617-484-2443 or email us at access at belmontmedia.org. Hello, everyone, and uh, welcome to another edition of the TOST Toddcast here on the Belmont Media Podcast Network, which you can find online at belmontmedia.org slash podcasts and also at soundcloud.com by searching Belmont Media. You can listen to the Toddcast at your convenience on your favorite electronic device by downloading the free SoundCloud app on both iTunes and Google Play stores. I'm Todd Bloniars from the award-winning Time Out for Sports Talk television show available on BMC Channels 9 and 29 and also on demand at belmontmedia.org. And Manning is co-pilot's co-pilot's chair here at Studio B. I'm always glad to be joined by Howie McClellan. How's, how's it going, Howie? It's uh, been a little while. Yeah, it's awesome. A great time to be a Boston sports fan, though. I'll tell you, you got the Bruins in the playoffs, Celtics in the playoffs, got the Red Sox hot as a pistol, and and you get a lot of football talk, so it's uh, yeah. it's a wonderful time of year. April is one of the best sports months, so it's a good chance for us to uh, catch up here. And we are also glad to have Chris Mason, a.k.a. Howie's nephew, back on the TOSD Toddcast. Chris oh, covers... I love that when he <laughs> says that. <laughs> Chris covers the Red Sox and also the Celtics during the winter months for CNHI Sports Boston, Community Newspaper Holdings, Inc. is what that stands for. You can read his stories online at eagletribune.com. Uh, the Twitter handle is at eagletrib, and you can also follow Chris directly on Twitter. His handle is at by Chris Mason. Chris, thank you for joining Howie and I once again here on the TOST Toddcast. Hey, you got it, guys. Now that's an introduction right there. <laughs> <laughs> and a well-deserved one, too. You've had a, yeah, I mean, you go from one season right to the other now. They don't, uh, they don't give you an off season for the Red Sox. They say, go cover the Celtics. And uh, so that's, uh, that's a big thing. So, Chris, I want to start off, I guess, one of the biggest things that you uh, noticed uh, with covering uh, the Sox this year. Just talk about the, the major differences, just uh, tonally in the clubhouse, everything. Uh, with regards to you know having Alex Cora now managing that team, just the whole atmosphere around the team, how different is it uh, than when you covered the team last year with John Farrell managing? Oh, it feels completely different, honestly. It um, a lot more easygoing. It, last time, some of the players said this. It just felt like they took every single like they wore every single loss. Like they just gripped the bats too tightly, and then like they carried that, and that just snowballed. And um, it was weird. At some point, some point along the lines last year, I think it kind of became cool to blow us off, just like blow the media off too, and that just became a thing. And it, yeah, it wasn't a wasn't a great situation. Obviously, price was price, and uh, yeah, it was. I mean, if, uh, if Dennis Eckersley is getting yelled at, you know, uh, you know, things aren't great. Yeah, no, I still, um, I still have a problem with that. I mean, it, there's something. There should have been some apology somewhere along the line or even a not even so much an apology but a you know things could have been handled better and hopefully we can move forward from here not you know last year was last year well let's just move on to this year you know I, the, the, to me that it's still not a closed issue you know as far as that well yeah and he he really had a chance to like about a month after when um Shaughnessy got the whole story in the globe they came back, and it was like a Friday where Pedroia, like, Pedroia talked, and he really set it up just like, yeah, you know, we kind of put it behind us, like, David's going to talk tomorrow, and he, he really set him up, and it could have been like, yeah, I made a mistake, like, but just didn't, it was uh, just defiant, and 
yeah, it was uh, that clubhouse was not a fun place to be for a while last year. But it is um, clear they they love Cora, man. They uh, they they see things on the same level. So um, yeah, it's uh, noticeably different. I was going to say, I know we'll get into it later, but you talk about not a fun clubhouse. Talks about sounds like a football team we know right at the moment, yeah, but we'll get well, into that later. Yeah, we'll, we'll, <laughs> definitely, we'll definitely get into that later for sure. Um, so, so, Chris, what is it about Cora that the, the players like so much? Why is he so relatable? Is it that he's closer in age being a, or, you know, a former player? Is it just the fact that he's, so flu- he's fluent in multiple languages and can you know, talk to everybody in the language they're most comfortable speaking in? Uh, what, you know, what, what is it exactly? Yeah, well, both of those things are huge right there. Um, the closest in the age, it's one of those things where he came in and uh, yeah, one of them said, like, he hasn't forgotten how hard it is to play the game. And, like, he's not far removed from that. Uh, I do think the bilingual factor is huge. Like, if you can see, like, him communicating with Devers the same way he can communicate with Ben and you you know, you, you didn't see that with Farrell last year through no fault of his own, but that's just the way it is, you know? You know, they had said, uh, they had said that they've also changed a lot of the ways they do things. It's all about this communication yeah. thing. You know, they call it the the uh, iPhone generation. You know, <laughs> whereas they 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 can't concentrate anything for long periods of time. So you got to give it to them in short, fast bursts. Oh, the uh, you know? the communication thing is massive, and it, it's interesting too. Like, I think Price still has a ton of pull in that clubhouse, and he, like when when Price talks, people listen. And it was interesting. Like I um. Down at spring training when the Cubs were there, I sat in on uh, Madden's managerial session there, and he talked for a half hour just about his philosophy. And, like, oh, I absolutely hate eyewash. Like, I hate the idea of doing things just for, uh, you know, the sake of doing them because that's how they're always been done in the past. Like, I, I can't stand that. I'm just sitting there thinking, like, oh, so this, honestly, it sounds kind of like the opposite of the way things were set up with Farrell. And then, so to bring it back, you have. David Price came up with Joe Madden as his, man- as his manager right there. And so I think that Cora is far more of the Madden mold than the Farrell mold. And I think, like, you you saw them click right away, and that's uh, an important thing. So the funny oh, there's, no, thing- uh, there's no manager John. Or no yeah. manager Allen. <laughs> I was going to say, the funny yeah. thing is Madden's not a spring chicken. So he's actually been able to evolve with the way the game's going. Absolutely. Yeah, and he's, um, yeah, he, he's uh, definitely a player's manager. Yeah, well, we're glad to hear that. And certainly, it seems to be translating on the field too. Right now, the Red Sox seventeen and four as we are recording this podcast on April the twenty third. Best record in Major League Baseball. I mean, they're 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 getting it from everybody on the roster. Really good hitting, good pitching. Uh, I mean, they lead the majors in batting average, slugging percentage. Uh, their their pitching numbers are right near the top of the league, and it's just everything's going right. In fact, they're just coming off their first uh, losing streak, back to back. Losses, first series loss uh, out in, in Oakland, but uh, and to talk a little bit about uh, the the trip so far to date here, uh, Chris, and particularly the weekend games with Oakland. Of course, you got to start with uh, Saturday night, and of course, when the team is you know hitting two seventy seven and they're 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 slugging you know in the in the four uh, what is it four thirties or something or four sixty seven. Yeah, I mean you know the only way you're going to be able to to shut them down and beat them. Throw a no hitter, Sean Manea there. Uh, what an effort, too. Uh, you know, cup, you know, just two walks, ten strikeouts, hundred and eight pitches. Uh, his first com- first complete game. Yeah, what it was outstanding. It's yeah. one of those things where, like, you see some no hitters, and you're like, oh, that wasn't that was a no hitter, I guess, but it wasn't particularly dominant. Like that was a dominant no hitter. Yeah, he his pit, he was dropping in 
sliders and and, and uh, splitters and things. That, I mean, these guys look silly that night. Mm-hmm. And there really weren't that many hard-hit balls. You know, usually every game you can always think of that one great defensive play or a close call or something where, you know, you know someone hit it. But really nobody hit it all that hard. I mean, the only two, you know, questionable calls, I would say it's really down to one. I mean, I guess the, you know, the error, the ball, that uh, the pop-up off of uh, Sandy Leone's bat that went off the shortstop's glove, apparently for some reason in Major League Baseball, they don't normally call that an error, but it sure looked like, I know he had his back to the ball, but Semyon should have caught that. I mean, it's a, it's a catch. That seems like an easy error for for me, and then you know, really the bigger play, I guess, was the the Benintendi play in the it, in at first base. Now that happened in the sixth inning, and he's out of the baseline. And I guess normally, you know, technically you're out if you're out of the baseline. But again, baseball has a lot of unwritten rules, as we all know, and they typically don't call that. You know, they'll they'll let you they'll give you some leeway out of the baseline. They you know, and at first they called Benintendi safe. Then they reviewed it and called him out. And I wonder if they called him out strictly because you know Manea had a no hitter in process. I mean, it definitely could have been part of it, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Usually you're thinking of no-hitters and, like, oh, well, there was that one diving play in the outfield, you know, that one, like, where, I don't know, Bradley tracked down a ball in the gap that he had no business getting to, but there really weren't any plays like that where the ball was, like, hit particularly hard, you know? Yeah, no, it was, if you like history and you like baseball, this, you know, it's a great thing to watch, you know, even if it's against your team, you know, it's just, it's just something to see when there's a no-hitter going and how everyone reacts and tries so hard, and especially late in the game. I'm sure there's probably guys going, please don't hit it to me. Please don't hit it to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? You know, watching, too, uh, they kept cutting to the, you know, the stands, and there was a lot of red, there were probably more Red Sox fans than there were Ace fans. There was one fans. right behind the whole yeah. plate with the big yep. B on her shirt. Right, and they were all, I think, at that point, rooting for Manaya to exactly. throw, you know, to finish off the no-hitter. So, uh, great. Uh, just an outstanding effort, and of course, uh, you know, you talk about history, Howie. First time in 25 years the Red Sox were no hit. They mentioned uh, Chris Basio was the last one to do it, and actually yesterday was the 25-year anniversary of his no-hitter uh, when he pitched for the Seattle Mariners. But 1993, it's been that long since uh, someone... Uh, this Actually, this is the first time the Red Sox have been no hit in the history of timeout. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and we've been on since 94. <laughs> yeah, but, it, but like you said, though, I, I feel the same way. If, if the Sox are being no hit and it's the eighth and ninth inning, I'm rooting for the no hitter because yeah. it's so – you just don't see them, especially in today's game where pitchers don't, aren't made to go nine innings anymore. You know, So that yep. makes it an even more phenomenal feat. That's why I'm saying this thing with uh, Jordan's furniture, uh, it's, it's like – it's not going to happen because pitches don't normally go that long in a game, you know? Right. I mean, Buster only even brought up the point I was reading uh, one of his, uh, his, one of his online columns. And he mentioned that you just, because now strikeouts are going up, pitchers are forced to throw more pitches. And as a result, I mean, just, you know, you build up that pitch count, like you said, so they don't stay in the game as long, and the odds of being able to throw a no-hitter. I mean, Manaya's numbers, when you look at it, 108-pitch complete game, and he still had 10 strikeouts, too. He was able to kind of do both. He was getting the strikeouts and still managed to keep his pitch count manageable to the point where he was able to finish the game. Well, I think yep. part, I was going to say, Chris, you think part of that's because the Red Sox of today are not like the Red Sox of the past where they go deep in the counts. I mean, they're very aggressive right now. They go after the first pitch. They're not sitting back there letting them throw a lot of pitches. So, I mean, I think that's a good thing, but I think that also helps with a game like that where they, they he only threw 109 pitches in nine innings. Yeah, absolutely. Because they're doing a chorus big thing with hunting pitches. Like when you get a pitch and it's a good pitch, swing at that pitch. Like that. It's obviously working pretty well for him, but uh, yeah, it does not drive the pitch count out like it used to. 
Yeah. yeah. Do you, uh, I mean, have you seen, you know, uh, the no-hitter game notwithstanding? I mean, Chris, are you seeing a different approach that a lot of these Red Sox hitters are taking this year uh, compared compared to last year? I mean, obviously, new manager and a new hitting coach in there, and they're talking about, you know, more about launch angles and even maybe not working counts as much if you get your pitch early in the count, swing at it. Yeah, and I think um, the person who it's most notice- noticeable with is uh, actually Bogarts, who's been on the shelf now, but... There, there's, um, I think of like 212 qualifying players last year. Bogarts was 208th in the league at swinging at the first pitch. He would just would not swing at it at all. And Betts was kind of reticent like that too in his first couple of bats. Um, but those two, I mean, have both just gone off this year, and it does look like they're attacking more. You know, they're they're getting up there ready to swing. Yeah, and if you're an opposing pitcher and you know that, I mean, you, you're just going to groove one right down the middle because you know he's going to take it. So, I mean, it's almost like giving, giving up, a, you know, a pitch. I mean, yeah, uh, as what, a batter. Um, Cora said that about Betts, actually. After uh, one of the post games, he was like, yeah, I went up to him. was like, we, uh, in Houston, we knew your plan of attack was that you were going to take the first pitch and the first two at bats, and then the third one you are going to try and ambush the pitcher. And Mookie was like, oh, yeah, that is what I was doing. So breaking out of some of those habits um, I think is important. And I certainly hope that uh, Bogarts uh, can g- regain his his hitting mojo when he returns. He's supposed to be back uh, later this week when the Red Sox come uh, home uh, from this road trip. And, uh, you know, but he was just, he was on such a roll. I am kind of almost afraid that, you know, spending the, the two weeks off uh, rehabbing that ankle, that, uh, you know, something's going to, you know, it's going to maybe take him a little bit to kind of get back in the swing of things again. Yeah, I, I think fortunately here is that it was a break and not a sprain just because a sprained ankle can nag for such a long time. And you saw what happened with Bogarts and nagging injuries last year. Um, so exactly. hopefully for his sake, it's just a you know, clean break. Get right back in there and pick up where you left off. Yeah, they've always said that, that a break's easier to heal from than a sprain. Yep. You know? Yeah. And I can attest to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, all the years of running, how you've had your share of those uh, for for yeah, sure. Sprains, not breaks on that. Yeah. Um, talk about the rest of the offense here, Chris. Uh, you know, what have you? What are your early thoughts on uh, JD Martinez, who's uh, been off to a, a you know maybe not a great start in the power department, but uh, you know certainly right now uh, he's hitting 307, and uh, you know he's up among the team leaders in uh, runs batted in. Yep, um, and he's. If uh, if he was playing for Tampa Bay instead of the Red Sox, he'd probably have eight home runs right now. But some of those balls that he's hit at Fenway have just died in the uh, in the cold air. Um, but it's funny when you look into like the exit velocity launch angle stuff. Like nobody's been hitting the ball harder than Martinez. His exit velocity is over a hundred, a ridiculous amount of the time. So that's one of those things where I think the power numbers will come when it warms up a little bit. Um, but I, I've been pretty impressed with him early on, and just. The way he uh, carries himself, too, he's just so diligent about hitting. And, like, you could tell that he really, like, gets every ounce out of, like, the resources they provide him with. So um, I've, I've been pretty impressed by his work ethic, too. How have you felt about – is it nice to see Porcello uh, back to form from two years ago as opposed to last year? I mean, he's really making a difference I actually, again. Um, I actually just wrote this in my column for tomorrow. I do, like, a nine-talk column on Mondays a lot of times. But um, one of them was just in his start last week – he loads the bases in the first inning and then gets back-to-back punch-outs, and those are just outs that he was not getting last year. You know, the first inning was such a huge problem for him, but he made those pitches this time around and didn't, you know, go into a uh, 4 nothing hole early. 
Well, yeah, I mean, that's so, uh, yeah, we'll be looking forward to reading that column, uh, Chris, on uh, eagletribune.com. And again, don't forget, you can follow uh, Chris uh, on Twitter, at by Chris Mason is his handle, and uh, he links to all of his columns uh, online and, uh, yeah, covering the Red Sox here. And, you know, staying on the pitching staff and kind of bringing us back, I know we talked about David Price uh, earlier. Let's talk about his uh, – Appearance yesterday, uh, kind of trying to bounce back from that uh, that shaky start a couple of starts ago, dealing with the cold weather and the you know the the numbness of the fingers. Uh, now I actually think uh, it was Evan Drellick who pointed this out last night on one of the baseball shows. I didn't think about it at the time. But uh, in the eighth inning, it's you know of the game yesterday, it's one-one, and Price strikes out Jed Lowry for the second out, and Price reacts kind of demonstratively in a way that you know I guess he typically would react after he gets the third out in the inning. Yep. And interestingly enough, you know maybe I, you know I guess uh, Drellick sort of uh, you know inferred here that maybe he thought that there were three outs and then he had to sort of recompose himself. And the very first pitch he throws to the next batter, Chris Davis, Davis sends it flying for a three-run homer, and that's your ball game. What were your I mean, what was your thought uh, as, as you were watching that, uh, Chris? Uh, did you did you happen to think that maybe Price lost track of the outs and then mentally had a hard time maybe getting his focus back, and that led to the the bad pitch to uh, Davis? I think that definitely could be. Like, it's a, a legitimate theory. But my thing, this is actually my, like, first thought in my column tomorrow, is that Cora all offseason kind of talked about how he wants to use Kimbrell more um, progressively. They'd, like, that that Davis spot right there, you have a 1-1 game. Price is obviously laboring. Like, he had owned Lowry, so I get leaving him in for that. But Davis already had an RBI single off of him, too. Like, maybe that's a time where you want to bring Craig Kimbrell into the game. Um, but he wasn't even warming. It was uh, Smith or Bust. So I think that's kind of interesting. Like Kimbrell's obviously been dominant again this year, but he hasn't pitched. I think he's pitched the ninth inning six times and the tenth inning twice. So he's not been used early in the game at all, which it's a it's an interesting thing. Like I don't know if Alex is trying to ease him into doing that or if it's just a conversation they really haven't had yet. Or could it be that he really didn't have a lot of spring training and maybe they just don't want to try to stretch him out too long? See, that, that's what I thought at first, but now we're almost a month into the season and he's looked as sharp as ever, you know, he hasn't given up a run. Well, is it also maybe a little too early in the season to have this kind of, you know, heightened sense of urgency, like it's, you know, it's a playoff game and we need to bring him in in the, I, I mean, I get it, sometimes the most important outs to get are in the seventh and eighth inning, but I mean, if you're doing that on a regular basis, then you're constantly bringing Kimberl in those spots and I, I just don't. I mean, I think ultimately for this team to succeed in October, they're going to have to get something out of the guys who were pitching between the very good starters and the very good closer. I mean, that would have, to me, you had Carson Smith warming up, and I know he's been up and down, but this would have been a time to put him in and, and see what he could do there. I mean, hopefully, you know, he, he would maybe he's in there against Davis, keeps the ball low, and, you know, maybe induces a ground ball out of him in, instead of what Price gave up. Yeah, it's... Um... Well, the, the, my thing with Kimbrell, too, is that just because he pitches the eighth doesn't mean he needs to go more than an inning. Like, you could have, if you look at the leverages yesterday, you have Kimbrell, he, say he punches Davis out, and you don't even want to have him get up and get down. Well, then you have, get Carson Smith the ninth, and you have, what, their five, six, seven guys instead of a messy, messy inning with uh, three, four coming up. Yeah. yeah, you still have Kelly still sitting in the bullpen, too. Yep. 
And he does have a safe this year. <laughs> I mean, is, is, that's the other thing. Is Kimbrell going to mind because he's going into a, a contract year uh, this year? That is he going to mind coming in a lot in the seventh and eighth inning and maybe then not finishing the game, not getting the save, thus reducing his save totals? I mean, is that is that something he and Corey, you think, have, have talked about at all? And, and you know, again, that, in how that's he's definitely like a real possibility there. And it's something, if you look it up, like, if Kimbrell stays healthy, he has a real shot at the all-time saves record. I mean, he's at, like, 300 already, and he's 29, I believe. And what's like that? I don't, even, I don't even know what the record is. It's one of those. Uh, uh, it's what, uh, five-something. Okay. It's, it, it's yeah. a lot. But, yeah. Um, it's... it's just something that, like, it's, it's definitely a down-the-line thing, and he'd need to stay healthy, but he'll have a real shot at it. It's not one of those numbers you know, like 755 or 406 or uh, what was uh, what, what was Cy what, Young's win total? 755. Oh. The, the fake home run record? I thought, I thought it was the real home run record. I thought 762 was the fake oh, home run okay. record. Just want to make sure. What? Oh, it, it, well, is it? I don't know. You tell me. You think Which one do you want to go by? I want to go by not Bonds. Right. Okay, so <laughs> I, went, I used Aaron's number. I yeah. used 755. Right. right. That's, the one everyone, that's the one everyone knows. The but, real one. So. Yep. Yeah, there you go. Well, and also speaking of, uh, I guess if I, you know, we talked about, you know, Kimbrell and maybe maybe getting a little bent out of shape that he won't get as many saves. I, I want to play, I have to kind of bring us back to J.D. Martinez again here. Early in the year, I have not been, if this is a pet, it's a small, I don't even know if I want to call it a pet peeve or I'm just mildly irked about it. He's playing the outfield a lot more than I want to see him play the outfield. I it just you have three very good defensive outfielders in Benintendi, Bradley, and Betts, and to to kind of placate JD Martinez because he doesn't want to be David Ortiz and DH every day. You're playing him. It feels like two, three days a week in the outfield, and and it's at the expense of one of these good young outfielders who not only are good defensive outfielders, by the way, they can hit too. See, I think some of that. There's definitely um, he definitely wants to play the outfield. Like I. Uh... First question I asked him in spring training was on a day that he played in the outfield, and I was basically just like, "Why was this an important thing to you?" And he he just goes, "Because I'm 30. Like I think, like I can still play the field. I, I think that DH is a position you age into full time. So I, I think like 50 is the number that they're shooting for. But I think a lot of it right now is the core just wants to rest guys. Like he seems pretty like pretty adamant in like setting a plan and like, oh, we're taking care of these guys. They're going to be off their feet." I mean, like, he sat Martinez on Friday after, uh, I think he had a five- or six-game stretch where he was hitting over 500. And his, his reasoning was kind of interesting. He said, like, if he's hot on Friday, he's still going to be hot on Sunday. Like, it's not not playing one day isn't going to yeah. affect that. Like, he said he had to <clears throat> Hinch would do that with Altuve last year. And that's, like, kind of where he's modeling uh, this, like, rest after. Yeah, I, was reading, um, I read that article today about, about that. It was, it was like... If you're not, if you're hot, like you said, he, you know, he'll give you a day off. He's more apt if you're not hot, he'll leave you in there to try to get your swing out or get your stick going. But, you know, it's an interesting philosophy, but it seems to be working at this point. Yep. The one thing that's interesting, I think, is um, to see what he does if Bradley has one of those cold spells in, like, July where he's just not really hitting to see whether Cora is going to, like, Farrell would always ride those out. Like, he might give Bradley two or three days off at a time, but he never actually, like, benched him. Um, just to see what he would do now, because you have Martinez, you have Moreland, you have Hanley. Like, he, basically, you could put Martinez in the field and have Moreland and Hanley both playing if they're hot. 
Well, Chris, can I ask you this question right now? Because I'm looking at Bradley's average. It's 224, and, and I can't remember any real big hits he's had. He is struggling. Right, He's in one of his funks really to start the season. He really is yet to, to get going, and maybe he'll heat up with the weather, uh, you hope. But right now he's, you know, we, we know he's a streaky hitter, and he's a bit down. Maybe does he get maybe some extended time, and that, that then they're allowed, you know, that allows uh, J.D. Martinez to play some more outfield, and you get Mitch Moreland in the lineup a little bit more. Exactly. That's that's what I was going to try and bring it back to is that's one of the other reasons I think you're seeing Martinez in there is because, like, you know, you have all these options available with the bench on this team. How about Hanley? You know, speaking, you know, speaking of these options and, you know, first base DH and Hanley, he's engaged. I mean, he seems to – he's – he appears to have respect for core. He seems to be enjoying yep. the enjoying first base uh, again. So, what are you, what are your early thoughts on on Hanley here? And, and do you think he could have a really big season? Yeah, I mean, he's been awesome right away. Um, the biggest question mark with him is always the health and like the shoulder issues. I, I know I've seen people. Uh, they're pretty legitimate. Like he's had multiple surgeries on both of them. But I don't know, man. Maybe it's uh Maybe it's Tom Brady that saved him. He started doing the TB12 method. Seems more flexible. So I think he said he lost 15 pounds with it, too. Um, so, yeah, he started doing the resistance band stuff last year. It's, it's interesting. But, um, I mean, he's a guy that if he's playing this way, the vesting option's been a huge storyline because he needs whatever, I don't know how many more bats, but he opened the season needing 497 for his $22 million option to kick in. Well, if he's playing like this, that's, a, that's like a no-brainer another year of that, you know? Yeah. What are, what are they going to do with Swihat? I mean, Good question. I was just gonna, I was going to get I mean, to that. They, they, he's got no options, so if they put him on waivers, you know he's gone. Or if they send, try to send him down, you know he's gone. And at some point, Dustin Pedroia is going to come back, which is going to create a, a roster squeeze anyway. So. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wonder if um, you could find a team like the Mets that need catching help, and maybe you you find a deal there. Um, he's just. Obviously, he's not somebody that you want to give up on because he has so much potential. Sure but does. Yeah. Where does he fit in on this team? It's it's tough. You know, he just doesn't really have a spot right now. Yeah, I mean, Chris I said something the other day too, where he's like, "Hey, if he didn't, uh, if he doesn't want to talk to me, like I get it. You know, just because he's really there's just nowhere to plug him in." And it's interesting too, like the um, like the two catchers they have right now are so good defensively, but neither one is hitting. No. Yeah, I mean, I've never been a big Leon fan. I mean, I know he, I know he's mm. he's filled gaps and, and and you know made some you know good moves now and then, but I don't know. I just I see Swihart as the backup catcher on this team, and I, and I have since you know a couple of years ago before I get hurt, and I, and I just don't. You know, I know I. What is it about Leon that they like that's holding Swihart back from catching? Right, and it's also not like uh, they're pairing him up with Sale anymore. I've noticed Sale's been getting paired yeah. up with Vasquez a lot more, just because Cora doesn't want to have that. You know, set. You know, regular. You know, pitcher catcher thing where you have the same. You know, you're going to throw to the same catcher every game. Yeah. Yeah. Although I'm pretty sure Leon's caught all four Porcillo starts this year. Oh, no. oh, that's his new, that's his new character. Right? <laughs> he's, he's gone from he's gone from sale to, to no. <laughs> right. Um, but but I'm with Howie here, Chris. I I don't understand the whole Leon thing either. I mean, you know, if Swihart could even be a mediocre catcher and you know play caller behind the plate, I don't know why you don't have him as the backup to Vasquez. Well, I think the thought process there is that so Leon's the appreciably better defender and game caller. Is that the strength of this team, like the lineup's hitting the cover off the ball, the strength of this team's still supposed to be the pitching. And to, like, I guess by 
taking Leon away, the the theory is that you're hurting your best asset, you know? Because of his game calling? Yeah, because of the game calling and the defense. But I don't know. They, I mean, they're definitely coming to a crossroads with Swihart. And like you said, the uh, Pedroia, like somebody needs to... Well, what have you heard, too, uh, Chris, about Pedroia's progress? Like, when do they expect him back at this point? Where is he in his rehab? I still don't think it'll be until May. But, like, are we talking, like, almost Memorial Day May? or like Because May's, May's next week. <laughs> I just, yeah. I mean, I, I didn't know uh, how far he's been in his rehab. So they're, they're having him, like, go down to Fort Myers and then back, then back down to Fort Myers again. So right now, Cora likened it to his, uh, like, spring training for him. But then again, like spring training, six weeks, so it's hard to tell how far along it is. Um, I would almost think as long as Nunez and Holt and you know and you know Lynn in the short term uh, until you know Bogarts comes back, if they're all performing in the middle infield and you don't want to get rid of Swihart right away, it almost feels like they should just buy some time and let you know let Pedroia come back when he's absolutely ready. I I know Pedro, you know Dustin Pedroia is the type of player who doesn't want to take his time to come back, but mm-hmm. you know, I maybe it might be a good idea to to err on the side of caution here. Yeah, that's the uh that's obviously to tell that Pedroia is the toughest part. Um but yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting too cuz uh Brock Holt still has an option. So, hypothetically, you could send him down and keep Swihart on the roster, but I don't think they want to do that. I mean, I think they're uh, pretty pretty intent on having Holt in there as a good clubhouse guy on the bench. Not to mention he can play every position except pitcher and catcher, and, and Swihart is still limited outside of his catching. Yep, so, it's, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. I mean... But I'm kind of with Howie. I'm I'm really bummed that uh, you know because I I can envision a scenario like like even like you mentioned, Chris, maybe a team like the Mets or so like they're almost going to give him away. They're going to give Swihart away for the proverbial either player to be named later or some low minor league prospect or something. And this was a guy a few years ago. I honestly thought he was going to be the starting catcher. And you know then I know there was you know they they tried to make him a utility guy and that's how he messed up his ankle and basically that cost him two years of development. But you know he still got all this upside and it just it, it really bums me out that they may just be giving them away only because they have nowhere to they could keep them on the roster see the one thing with him is i don't think dave will give him away um like he's gone out of his way not to trade him to this point like i think he sees that potential there and wants to maximize the assets um so i I think if you do move him you'll see a real return but yeah he's just he's stuck right now he's blocked everywhere i'm just looking at some stats that we're talking right hector velasquez five games started He's three and zero, but he's only pitched sixteen innings. How does a starter only pitch sixteen innings and he's three and zero? I'm confused at that stat. Well, that's not different than Dice K back uh, when they got him in 07. Remember that year he he won like eighteen games and he was averaging like five innings a start, and amazingly the bullpen just kept bailing him out. I yeah, think. Yeah, but he's only right? been averaging five. He started five games. He's averaging oh. like three innings a game. Oh well, I mean, I think I think he's only started. Three of those. Uh, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. Two, oh, okay. Two games yeah. Started. There you go. So I he's he's actually I think he vultured one of uh, Pomeranz's win the other night when uh, Drew Pomeranz came back. Uh, I actually, uh, Chris, I didn't get to see that uh, that game. How did Pomeranz look in his return back? Uh, what was your thought about that? He had a really tough time in the first inning, but worked his way out of it. Um, the real concern with him is that his four seam average was the lowest it's ever been for a start. Yeah, it was like 88 or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it was it was right at 88. 
which could be a first start of the year thing, but obviously with him and the arm issues, you're always going to have, like, you know, you're, you're going to have to watch that. And So that's um, that was my takeaway from it was the velocity. Uh, like, he, he was fine. People forget how good he was last year. Like, I, I don't if – you, if you were to ask me, like, who on the 2017 Red Sox got, like, the least amount of credit to deserve more, I'd probably go Pomerantz. I mean, won 17 games, and he was just so consistent for them down the stretch that if they can get that guy back again, rotation the sky's the limit yeah i think that was probably because sale pitched so well that's all people were talking about and they just didn't notice the job that pomerantz was doing yeah i mean he was you had price hurt you had a uh, porcillo regressing and pomerantz really just stepped up and was a legitimate number two for you um so if he can come close to that, I mean, the rotation, the sky, the sky's the limit for this right. rotation. Well, he only really needs to be a good number four, so he doesn't even need to necessarily be a 17-game winner again. I think you definitely would take anywhere between, like, 12 and 15 wins from, from Pomeranz this year if he can, uh, you know, assuming he can stay healthy the rest of the year. <laughs> yeah. But, but um, yeah, so I, I just keep an eye on the velocity next time out. Yeah, just uh, as we kind of wrap up the baseball talk here, Chris, what are your thoughts here about the rest of the American League East right now? I mean, the Yankees seem to be kind of hovering right around 500, and whereas uh, Alex Cora, you know, hasn't really, no one's been talking about him so much as, you know, have, you know, rookie manager struggles, it feels like Aaron Boone may be having a few of those, although maybe, maybe some of that's attributed to the fact that some of these guys like Giancarlo Stanton aren't really performing up to where they're supposed to be. Yeah, I think that has a lot to do with it, but I think uh, I think Cora's more comfortable than Boone right now. Um, it was interesting. I sat in on Boone's press conference after the day after the fight at Fenway. It was completely different than Alex earlier in the day. Like Boone was very tense, very like they. I mean, they obviously have ridiculous expectations, and there's some 500. Like I think they're gonna get a. I, they're they're gonna be a legitimate team. They're just not there yet. I was reading something um, today that was showing that his stats for this year as far as his home runs and his strikeouts and, and, and everything is pretty much online with what he's done the last two or three years at the beginning of the season. So, yep. I mean, if you look at that, yeah. then it, it's really a, a non-story because if that's the case, then he's going to be breaking out and breaking out soon. Yep, and if you look at it, too, like he's playing in New York now where he was starting the season in Miami, so there's even more reason to believe that that breakout's coming. Um, actually have him in my home run pool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I... I the, one, one of the Herald guys runs a home run pool, and mm. I have him, so I'm banging on him breaking out. <laughs> you got any Red Sox in that pool, Chris? Um, it's, it's like a tiered format, so I don't believe I do. Uh. Okay. Well, I need to. Uh, I need to go back and check my roster. I filled it out at the end of spring training. <laughs> when, when are we going to see Tyler Thornburg? Is he is he going to make an that's appearance a, this year? That's a million dollar question. You know, because I mean, they, I think they, it's more than that. I, I think mean, he's getting paid more than that. Yeah, they signed him, and we haven't <laughs> seen him pitch. Yeah. You know? Well, they traded a bunch of pretty, you know, middling to decent prospects for him. Yeah. You know, it's uh, yeah. I mean, he could be a big help in the bullpen if they if they can get him to come back. You know, as far as one of those guys in between the starter and, and Kimbrell, you know, if you can have yeah. him and Carson Smith and Joe Kelly, I mean, right there, that should be three guys that should be able to get you from six to nine, you know. Sure. Yep. Matt Barnes, I mean, yeah. you know, who's had flashes. Yeah. That's, um, uh, Hornberg is the wild card. Um, that thoracic outlet surgery is supposed to be a really tough one to come back from. 
Um, and obviously, I mean, it's been it's been a while now, you know, like, and it just keeps getting pushed back. But I don't know. I mean, he's he's throwing down in Florida, so he's doing something. But yeah, but hopefully, mm. I wonder if it's going to be enough. The last guy I heard, the last guy that had that surgery isn't pitching anymore, if I remember. Was it, who was the guy that, I uh, can't think of his name off the top of my head, that uh, was we thought was going to be the next uh, closer for the Sox? And they tried to make him a starter. Oh, Daniel Bard? Uh, no, not Bard. No. Uh, oh, what? Um, oh, uh, wait a minute. He was going to, you said he was yeah, going to be a yeah, closer? Yeah, we thought he was going to be the next closer. I thought, well, I thought that was Bard, and then Bard wanted to become yeah. a starter. Yeah, yeah Daniel, Daniel Bard. Bard, and then they tried to make him a starter. Did he, he have had, that, too? He had that surgery. Well, he had a lot of other issues, yeah. too, I thought. I didn't remember that one. I think he's out of baseball one, now. Yeah, yeah. I, I think he retired earlier this year. His yeah. younger brother's still in the majors, because I know he played, his younger brother played against the Red Sox. Uh, oh, yeah, they, some... they teed off on him, huh? I, I was sitting there like, oh, how? Oh, yeah, right, that's right. Yeah, they hit, like, what, four or five home runs off of him? Yeah, he pitches for the Angels, right? Is that what who they were... I think yeah, it he was, came but, on yeah. uh, after Otani left with the blister. That's right. And that's when uh, the Sox really poured it on. Boy, the Angels were looking so good up until that Red Sox series, and then they got wiped out. I mean, the Sox, they just I mean, demolished like, you, you heard everyone right off the bat say, like, oh, wait till the Red Sox play a real team. Wait till they play a real team. And maybe that's what was going on in Anaheim. Like, they just hadn't seen anyone yet. I know Otani had been nasty. I think both his starts were against Oakland, though. Um, so maybe that just uh, brought him back to earth a little bit. Yeah, well, well, Oakland looked pretty good to me this weekend. <laughs> yeah, that's a tough division, though, right? I mean, you got, you know, you have uh, Houston, obviously, you know, defending world champs, and then, uh, you know, the the Angels who got off to a good start, they've been, you know, they've slid back into second place. But uh, yeah, I mean, Oakland's always got the good young pitching, but they're, you know, everywhere, you know, they're kind of they're working on the shoestring budget and. Uh, yep, lowest uh, lowest payroll in baseball. You know what I was happy to see though. After the first couple of games, everyone was all over Gabe Kapler. Oh, what a mistake. Yeah. The first place, Phillies, uh, yeah. now. Oh, they're in first yeah. place? Okay. Uh, you don't hear anything about uh, Gabe Kapler not knowing what's going on, you know? It's... Uh, you know, he's a. I always liked him. He's a good guy. He's a good, good yeah. teammate. Um, I thought he was. It was seemed like he was getting off to a rocky start in Philly, and I thought, you know, with the fans in Philly sometimes being compared to some, you know, Boston fans to some degree. Uh, oh, we never threw the, snowballs. No, that's Santa true. Claus. That's true. <laughs> You're right, but still, uh, he did, you know, he, he had that one move where he tried to bring the guy in who hadn't warmed up. Right. Uh, yeah. That that's... was a pretty tangible. Like, look at look at what's going on. But obviously. You know, it's it's early in baseball season. Everyone's going to overreact to everything. Yeah, and the Phillies made a lot of moves in the aside from Kapler, made a lot of moves uh, to their roster too. But uh, it yep. seems like it's it's paying off. I was not aware. I, I guess I didn't look at the National League closely enough. I didn't realize they were they were in first well, the, place. But good for, for them. The last That's, standings uh, I looked at. I know I don't know. Okay, if, well, no, but the fact yeah. I know they were. I I know all like you know like you Howie. I was just hearing Kapler getting raked over the coals. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, no, that's. Uh, that's certainly good to see. Actually, I guess another thing happened over the weekend that's uh, never happened in over 16 million major league at bats going. I guess as long as it's been yeah. they've been documenting at bats. Brandon Belt, a 21 pitch at bat. Yes, I it, saw it that. lasted about 12 minutes, and yeah, then he ended I, by you couldn't even get a hit. Unfortunately, he flied out to right field. Uh, so all that for all that for an out. <laughs> yeah. That's a bad yeah, but it drove up the pitch count. Yes, oh, yeah, it <laughs> certainly did. Wow. Yeah, yeah, pitch count. Yeah, I can't imagine what that pitcher's uh, pitch count ended up being because I'd say the majority of the the pitches were uh, what he threw to 
through the belt there. Uh, all right, well, Chris, I know you uh, you also got to, you know, during the winter months, you were uh, covering the Celtics and on their beat, and, uh, of course, they're uh, in the, the thick of it, a, a tough series right now, battling with the, the Milwaukee Bucks, and, you know, I know, I know you're, you've been, you know, obviously covering the Sox uh, most of the time, so you probably haven't had a chance to, to watch a lot of the Celtics up close, but, you know, maybe you're you're still kind of following them on the periphery. Uh, what uh, I mean, what have you uh, kind of thought about, uh, you know, especially like the kids? I mean, uh, Jalen Brown, uh, Jason Tatum, these guys are, uh, you know, uh, having to carry the load with uh, no Kyrie Irving and obviously no Hayward all year. Uh, yeah, your, your thoughts so far on, on the uh, the Celtics in the playoffs here? Yeah, I've been really impressed with this Brown. Um, I thought the same thing last year in that uh, in that series they lost. I thought he was one of the only people that, like, showed up and looked really good in that series. Um, and I think he's kind of picked up where he lets off. It's one of those things where you see during the regular season, like, he'll have stretches where, you know, just kind of disappears. And for him to have shown up in the way he has in the first few games, I think is a huge development for them. Um, on the whole, though, I mean, I just think you really have to temper expectations just given the losses they've had. Um, and I expected, actually, if you asked me before the series, I probably would have gone with the Bucks just because I, I think they uh, struggle defending really athletic big men, and the Greek freak is that. Um, yeah, have you actually? I was going to ask you, Chris, did in, when you were covering uh, the Celtics in the during the winter, did you get a chance to uh, see Giannis Antetokounmpo uh, up close and personal uh, in any of your uh, your games that you covered? Yeah, I did have a Bucks game, and uh, he was really impressive, and that's why I thought the uh, the big man thing, but. I mean, they've done a serviceable enough job thus far. Yeah, you know, it's funny. It, first off, I gotta say, I gotta laugh. And I mean, I I know that it's never a, a an exact science, but to think that we took Kelly Olynyk instead of that guy in the draft—that's kind of that's kind of laughable. But yep. I, I was thinking, yeah. right? I remember how many different teams missed on him. Of course, but, it, but I was thinking that with all the injuries they've had in the way that these. Kids have had to play. You got a 20 year old in Tatum, and what's Brown, 21, 22. Yep. I mean, th- their bench next year is going to be so good and so deep because of what they had to do this year. When they get back Kyrie and they get back Haywood, and these guys will have it's it's going to be phenomenal because of all the experience they gained this year because of the injuries. So I, you get you got to look at that. You're right. They're not going to go far without their stars this in the playoffs. Um, but I'm looking forward to next year. I mean, already. I mean, I'm just saying that bench is going to be phenomenal. Yeah, and uh, I mean, Brad Stevens is just a superstar. Like the amount of that he can get out of a team that loses, you know, not just their best player, their two best players. It's uh, really, really impressive. Yeah, can I be the first to coin officially coin the term "Big Four for next year? Because I think the Celtics <laughs> have a shot at that with uh, with Irving, Hayward, uh, Tatum, and and Brown. Uh, certainly, I, I know a lot. You know, a lot of the talks continues to be, and and for obvious reason, you know, maybe either Tatum or Brown go in a package for Anthony Davis. But with the Pelicans just having uh, swept their series, and and maybe Davis has less of a reason now to want to leave New Orleans. Uh, you know, maybe the Celtics should just be stuck with. With Brown and Tatum, which I don't think is that bad of a consolation prize at all, the way these 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 kids are developing. Yeah, I would say Tatum's untouchable. He's twenty years old, and he's already he's already looks like he's been in the league two three years. 
You know, but so. Brown has uh, athletic skills that even kind of uh, you know. I think Tatum is almost more of a he, he's wired. He's got some of those McHale-ish kind of moves. I know he's not the, the exact same build as McHale, but the way he kind of glides to the basket. Sometimes he's got the long arms similar to McHale. Uh, of you know, probably a little bit better of an outside shooter or at least a, a mid-range shooter. But and then you but then you got the raw athleticism with Brown, and I mean they both have just so much upside. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. You really uh. In a in a Brown or Tatum argument, you really can't lose. Yeah, I say I say they go as constructed. I, like I said, when you you get those other two guys back, you know, it, I don't think they need to make any big trades. I mean, if there's a free agent out there that wants to come here and sign, great. But I don't think you break up this roster um, because I think it's meshed together so well with Stevens. Um, I don't think you mess with it. Yeah, I uh, I'd have no problem bringing the same team back next year. Yeah, I mean, and, and obviously Stevens is a big part of it, like like both you guys are saying. Uh, well, you know, I know we, we are jumping ahead to next year, but l- let's look, just look at the rest of this series. I mean, uh, who do we who do we like the rest of the way here? I mean, the Celtics, it's, it's the best two out of three now. Celtics still have home court. Uh, and Milwaukee has not really shown any inclination to be able to play this well. Um, well, I guess yeah, I guess you could say the first game, uh, you know, with uh, with Chris Middleton uh, doing his Garfield herd imitation. That one's for you, Howie. Uh, <laughs> it remind it almost was on, like the same spot on the floor too. If you you know, I know it's not the same building, but you know, kind well, of felt like it. Yeah, well, I was there for that too. You know, <laughs> right. Age does have its privileges. So, but, but yeah, but right. Well, so well, who do you guys? I mean, who do you guys like the rest of the way here? I mean, you know, it, it looks like it's going to be Philly would be who the Celtics would be facing if they can advance to the next round. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I think I'll take the Celtics in seven. I uh, I, I don't think either team's going to lose at home. Yeah, I think it's the same thing. I'm I'm going to say with the Celtics, but but when I just who you said Philly. Now there's a team. That has a bright, bright future. I'll mm. tell you, they've this start. They've come out of nowhere. I mean, they've slowly built over the years. And um, watch out, they're going to be a tough team. Well, Embiid and Simmons right there is a good starting point. I don't. I mean, Fultz really hasn't done much yet, right? I mean, they're still kind of waiting for him. I know he was hurt most of the year, and he's just coming back. But. Uh, you know, so uh, well. Listen, we'll we'll wrap up here now, uh, Chris. I noticed you put a couple of links on your uh, your Twitter feed again. You don't forget you can follow uh, uh, Chris on Twitter at by Chris Mason, uh, who covers the uh, the Red Sox for uh, the Eagle Tribune. Uh, but uh, I know you you threw a few links out there, and I, I want to bring this up. I guess for all of us, uh, you know, it's uh, been a uh, you know a, a tough week uh, with the you know the passing of uh, Gil Santos, uh, Patriots uh, legendary voice. And uh, Howie, you and I were fortunate enough to get to meet him uh, once, uh, you know, about 15-odd years ago. Uh, uh, actually, it was, uh, it was the week uh, leading up to the, uh, the Patriots-Oakland playoff game. And we were fortunate. We were all at the baseball writers' dinner that year, and yeah. we, we got a chance to meet him. But, uh, uh, you know, I'll ask both you guys. I mean, just uh, I, I know football is not a sport you listen to a lot on the radio, maybe compared to some other sports, but... You know, I think it's safe to say when you did, uh, you know, your memories of Gill and, you know, he, he provides that soundtrack to all the great moments in the in the history of the Patriot franchise. Oh, sure. He's right up there with uh, Gowdy when he used to do the Red Sox and um, Johnny Most. I mean, he, he was just great to listen to, and, and he thoroughly enjoyed what he did. And from everything I'm reading, I guess the, I guess the guy did everything unscripted. He didn't need notes. He didn't need... Anything. He just went right into it and had it all right off the top of his head. You know, that's phenomenal. Yeah, yeah I'll always remember just growing up, um, 
when I was in the uh, when I was in the truck with my dad, if the Patriots were on, if there was never a real like sense of urgency, like oh, we need to get home to see the game. It was like oh, we'll listen to Gil all the game, you know, because he, he was just so good at it. Or you'd get home and you'd turn the turn the TV volume down, and you did. I, I don't know. They don't know. They don't always sync up very well nowadays. But uh, I think at one time they did sync up a little bit better. Though. Oh yeah, we should do that with Johnny Most in the uh, mm. during the Celtics Bird era. You know, would shut the shut the TV announcers yeah. off and listen to to Johnny Most. But yeah, it was enjoyable to listen. That's, that was the whole thing. Like you said, you didn't have to rush home. You didn't. Th- you weren't missing anything because he was so descriptive and so good at what he did that you could envision what was going on. With no problem at all. I mean, you knew what was happening because of the way he called a game. Yep, just fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I know a lot of, uh, I've been fortunate enough to get to call some uh, football games over the years, and I, I know whether it's consciously or subconsciously or a combination of both, I kind of model some of the way I call football games to all those years growing up listening to Gil. I mean, that's, uh, you know, and then, of course, uh, I know how you and I remember uh, Gil Santos also as the voice of the Celtics on TV for uh, many years. Him and the Bird era. Yeah, him and uh, Bob Cousy, Mona Me. Uh, yep. You know, it's uh, the, the two of them uh, certainly uh, were fun to listen to and they're you know or in this case watch but uh yep. yeah and then you know obviously mornings on uh, on the radio yeah he was a long career he said it many times too i mean you, you as you've been watching like a lot of clips of interviews with him this past uh, these past few days and he keeps saying how fortunate and lucky he's been or he was and uh yeah i mean he I think we would all agree with that. Yeah, we, I mean, <laughs> we were very fortunate, yeah. too, and lucky yeah. to be able to hear him all these years. So. Yeah, but we lost Gil Santos, but we also lost another legend, Bruno Sammartino. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, it's just a terrible week for legends. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, we're going to watch him in the old Boston Garden. Mm. <laughs> That's right. Wasn't he, if I remember correctly, wasn't he at one point Gorilla Monsoon's broadcast partner too, didn't they? Weren't they calling, like in, like in the 80s by then? I, I thought... I thought it was uh, Gorilla Mon. They were like the B team. Like it was, uh, it was Vince McMahon and Jesse Ventura were like you know your you know your your Summerall and Madden, and then the B team you know for the lesser matches was Gorilla Monsoon. And I thought it was Bruno Sammartino for the probably long- was. I, I think so. I, it was a little know. before your time, Chris. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah. All right. <laughs> you'll have, you'll have to. You'll I, have I, to... Still, uh, I still love it. I'll probably watch Monday Night Raw later tonight. Uh, there you go. <laughs> you'll have to YouTube some Bruno matches against like Ivan Koloff or mm. uh, the you know. Uh, Waldo Von Erich, you know, some of the old classic matches. George Steele and Bruno, yeah. great matches. Did you get to see any of WrestleMania, Chris, or is it? Every, every second of it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, actually, you know, it, it's, uh, is it still as entertaining as ever? I mean, I know uh, from the early years it's, uh, it, it, it's kind of evolved. And where did they, actually, where did they have it this year? I don't even remember. Uh, I was in New Orleans this year. What, at the Superdome or? Uh... Yeah. Yeah. They're still filling it out for a while. Oh, I'm That's sure a... they would. Oh, yeah. It Jeez. was packed, man. Yeah. Um, yeah, I still like watching, though. It's funny. Me, me, and, uh, me and one of my buddies will catch like every pay-per-view together because now they have the WWE Network. It's like 10 bucks a month. Yeah. And uh, so it's uh, pretty easy. It's not like you have to drop 60 bucks to see something. Are they going to show classic matches on that WWE Network? Too, oh, yeah. Is it gonna be they have, uh, yeah, they have a ton of them on there. I'm surprised they're not having a uh, Bruno San Martino marathon right now. Maybe they are. Maybe they are, yeah. It's funny because, I I mean, I grew up watching it. I liked it. And I always used to love when people tell me, ah, what are you watching that fire? It's fake. And I'd say, really? No kidding. It's fake. It's entertainment. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know? It's like. So it's every other show you watch. Yeah. I mean, yeah. All these reality shows that these people wouldn't do half the things they do because they were on TV. You know, like those are real. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. But. 
No question about it. All right. Well, listen, uh, Chris, we're going to let you go, and uh, we want to thank you for uh, for taking the the time to join us here uh, on the Toddcast. Uh, always good to talk to you. Hopefully, one of these times we're gonna we're gonna get it to line up, get you in studio here uh, on the on the TV side, but because uh, 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 you're long overdue for that. But in the meantime, we'll we'll take uh, we'll certainly take you on the phone here. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for having me on again, guys. Always, uh, always fun chatting with you. All That's right. Awesome having you on, yep. Chris. Thanks, buddy. All right, and go Red Sox. All right, thanks, Chris. Good night. All right, so uh, that was uh, Chris Mason again. You can uh, read his stuff uh, online at eagletribune.com. Uh, his Twitter handle is at by Chris Mason, and at uh, eagletrib is the Twitter handle for the for uh, the newspaper. And uh, of course, his stuff shows up, dig- you know, digitally on the website and in the newspapers and whatnot. Um, well, you know, Howie, it's, I, I thought we'd take maybe a few more minutes here and go over a few, uh, few other items, uh, but, uh, you want to, you know, I might as well stick on the Patriots. I guess we were talking, you we were certainly talking about, well, we actually we were just talking about wrestling, but hey, speaking <laughs> of that, did you, have you haven't seen the, have you seen the Andre the Giant documentary that was on HBO or? No, I have not. Okay. Definitely worth watching. So I would, uh, set the DVR for that one. Uh, I think you will, uh, you'll enjoy it. I, I was, uh. Fortunate enough to uh, to catch that last week, so uh, yeah, it was very well done. It's like ninety minutes, and uh, they get into a lot. It's not just it, it's you know some of it's you know the wrestling highlights, but not all of it. I mean, obviously they a lot of it has to do with the final match he had with Hulk Hogan at uh, WrestleMania three, I think it was, uh, and then even how that went because it was like you, you just kind of joked it. You guys were joking about how scripted everything is, but with Andre the Giant, uh, even Hulk Hogan admitted. You couldn't always script everything with like if Andre wanted to break script, who was going to stop him? I mean, you know, the, I mean, exactly. And, and in fact, a lot of times, you know, whether it was McMahon or Hogan or anybody who was going against Andre the Giant, I mean, um, they were concerned about that. Certainly, the way Andre's career ended, because you know they sort of turned him into a heel. You know, they wanted Hulk Hogan, you know, to to get all the fame and the accolades, and and Andre's career sort of ended with him being a bad guy, which he wasn't used to being. No, not at all. He, know, he, so. he was always the lovable giant. Yeah, right. not the hated so, giant. Yeah, but uh, so anyway, uh, so kind of back to we'll kind of circle back to the Patriots. We're talking, of course, about uh, the passing of Gil Santos. Boy, how weird was it? I mean, he passes away on what his 80th birthday and his and his f- anniversary. Yeah, his wedding anniversary. He got married on his birthday, which I guess in and of itself. I guess is, that was uh, his birthday present. I, I guess so. <laughs> well, and also uh, he passed away on the same day the Patriots released their 2018 schedule, uh, which is out now. And uh, 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 really quick on that, I don't want to get delve too much into this, but the only thing that kind of surprised me a little bit. I mean, I know that the Patriots were scheduled because of the way that it fell. They were supposed to be playing. You know, they're playing in Detroit next year, yeah. and and obviously. Uh, they made it a Sunday night game where Belichick against Matt Patricia, you know, mentor yeah. and mentee kind of thing. But I'm a little surprised they didn't make that, you know, uh, Thanksgiving Day game because, uh, uh, you know, with Detroit, uh, obviously they play every Thanksgiving. I, th- I kind of thought that they were going to maybe make that the Thanksgiving Day game, but they didn't. Um, no, I guess they made all the Thanksgiving games uh, division games. Really? Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Is that, uh, yeah, you know, I guess I'm still kind of on the old Thanksgiving schedule where, you know, it used to be just Detroit and Dallas, and one AFC team would always have to play in one of the games so that the AFC network could broadcast. But now, the way they do it, I guess all the networks oh, just kind yeah, of. Yeah, with all the flexing right. and this, Yeah, flexing, yeah. and now you've got CBS. Swapping. Yeah, they're doing NFC games, and Fox is doing AFC games, and it gets confusing. So, whatever. All right. So, uh, yeah, well, we, there's plenty of time to get into the schedule later. Of course, obviously, the. Uh, 
you know, the draft is coming up this week, and uh, the draft sort of ties into what you sort of alluded to at the at the top of the show here, Howie, talking about you know maybe uh, the kind of either you want to call it dysfunction or uh, certainly uh, something with the Patriots we're not used to, uh, where there's you know just. Uh, dissension. Yeah, dissension, acrimony, whatever, whatever you want to call it. I mean, I mean, the, the first thing, of course, I was reading earlier today, which this doesn't surprise me. The whole Brady is he going to retire or not thing, uh, you know, that, I think that got blown out of proportion by the, you know, the, the local media here because I uh, guess Don Yee came out today and said that uh, Brady is expected to, even though he hasn't officially announced it, he's expected to come back and uh, you know play again this year. So I mean, what would you? He was he on? was not going to leave Kraft hanging after all that's happened with the you know the Garoppolo deal and everything. I mean, he, he no matter what's going on with him and Belichick, he wasn't going to take his surrogate father or his second father figure, and he wasn't going to screw him over, especially with you know after they uh, had to trade Garoppolo. So I I wasn't worried about that at all. You know, it's just yeah, it's like anything. I mean, sometimes you get tired of getting. Beat up all the time, you know. Yeah. Yelled at and, and and everything, and I, you know, I can understand that. And I guess when you're at that stage of your career, when when someone tells you you can't do something, it's like anything. When you're a little kid, someone right. says you can't do something. What do you do? You do it more. And I, yeah, I'm sorry. You know, well, I'm you know, I'm thinking this whole thing with um, Guerrero and everything, I, and I, I just think it's grown legs, and and you know, and then it happened with Gronk. I guess it was like 30 of the players were going to him and instead of listening to straight. In, uh, yeah. uh, in nutrition coaches. Um, well, you know, I do have a problem with that because the team has a structure, and every team in the NFL has a structure. And you can't have some outsider coming in and telling you, telling them, don't do this, even though the coaches and trainers are telling them you got to do this. So yeah. it just causes a lot of confusion and, and frustration, I think. But Yeah, and that's, I think, you know, the, the problem is, I mean, if this is anybody other than Tom Brady bringing Guerrero into the equation – It'd be easy for the coach to just lay lay down the line and say, "Hey, no, he stays out." But because it's Brady, and you know, he's only only going to go down as one of the greatest players in NFL history, certainly Patriots history. Uh, you you kind of there has to be a little bit of give, but we all know Belichick's not someone who wants to give. So there, there, hence there's where the conflict has come from, and you know, the thing, it, it's just, it, it's you know, it, it's been a little frustrating because. There was, uh, you know, the talk, obviously, after, you know, Garoppolo, you know, they traded him. I mean, you know, I guess here, here's the thing with Brady. I mean, I think a lot of people were taking his whole I want to play till I'm 45 as gospel. Like, just because he says it, he's going to do it. And granted, you know, he's the first 40-year-old in the history of the NFL to win the, the league MVP and to be able to play at that elite level. But if anyone, and I know he's been saying it for years since he's kind of adopted Guerrero as his, you know, his conditioning guru, um, he, he can keep saying he's going to play till 45, but we all know that it, that's just seems to be going way against the odds, no matter what Guerrero was doing to help to extend his career. And maybe Guerrero has a lot to say for why Brady's playing so well at his advanced age. You know, it, I say advanced age relative to NFL football. players. Yeah. Right, to football. So, yeah, there's a lot to that. But, you know, the truth is he wasn't going to play, you know, that long. And I think for people now that kind of want to go back and say, well, you know, why is he going year to year? And, you know, that I think at this age, no matter how well he's playing, you have to think year to year because you know you're just one big hit away from you know being all over. Yeah, I was just gonna say. I think I think if he has if he has a major injury from this point on, he's done. 
he's not going to want to do what he'd have to do to come back, like if he tore another uh, ACL or if, um, you know, concussions come into it or, you know, I just don't think that at that point he's saying, why bother? Why do it? I've, I've done everything. I've been everywhere. I got nothing else to prove. So, you know, why go through that rigorous work to try to get back again when especially you tear an ACL at this point in your career on Achilles and he's he's had some Achilles problems, right? You're not going to come back good because of your age. I don't care what you're doing. 24-year-old is going to come back a lot better from uh, an Achilles surgery than a 42-year-old is. Oh, sure. You know, and he knows that. But so I say he's one big injury away from being gone. So. I just hope they know what they're doing because we don't have anyone behind them. And, well, uh, right. That's a big problem. Well, and this goes back to, and I know we've, we've debated the Garoppolo thing. I know how you feel. I think you have stronger feelings for Garoppolo as far as what you think he might become as a quarterback than I do. The only thing that I was kind of irked about at the time they dealt him was the timing itself. Again, I think it would have been, especially given how things have played out this offseason for the Patriots, it would have been worth it to hang on to Garoppolo till now. You franchise him now. I know that might have screwed up the whole team. Like, how do you fit that franchise tag contract into the under the cap? And maybe you're gonna have to cut a bunch of guys or whatever. I mean, they already sent some guys packing. I, I just, I just feel that it would have made sense to at least hang on to him until now, uh, because it also feels that you know. Between Brady and also, and I'll kind of use this as a segue into Gronkowski, these guys seem to be like using, well, I guess not necessarily Gronkowski as much, but with Brady at least, he seems to be almost using Garoppolo's absence as some kind of leverage play because he knows now he can kind of. Yeah, he's, he got, kinda, he's got him. He's got he him. can leave Belichick blowing in the wind here. And, uh, but see, that's why I said he wouldn't have done that to Kraft. That's why I wasn't yeah. concerned about it. Yeah, I mean, if, if Kraft wasn't, didn't have the influence on him that he had, he just might have. He just might have left him out there. You know, but yeah, but it'd also be leaving everyone else too. The fans, everyone who's been behind him, everyone who supported him. I mean, I just don't think he could live with that kind of an ending. I, right, you know, well. I just he, he's just too invested in what he's done here and how, how everyone's, you know, taking him in and and just the support he has. So he wasn't going to do that, um, but. You know, I'm concerned the following year, the year after. I mean, they don't get someone in and, and groom him, groom him fast. We're going to have, I mean, we've already talked about what it's going to be like when he's gone. When him and If they don't have anyone to come in, it's going to be really bad real quick. Oh, sure. Sure, absolutely. No, I mean, it's, uh, you know, first of all, I mean, I guess a, a quick bullet question here. Brady, I mean, he's got two years left on his current deal. I mean, if you were Kraft, Belichick, whatever, I mean, if it was me, I let him play his deal out. I don't think. Oh yeah, he, no, no. There's I'm no not, reason. I don't necessarily give him a bonus. I mean, I probably reward him with something when his career's done. I don't know how you can do that. Maybe from a either financial or some kind of standpoint. But you know, I wouldn't be doing. I wouldn't be restructuring his deal right now at age four. He's going to be yeah. 41 when when the next season starts. Especially if it's a, it's very team friendly. So why would you? Yeah. Well, you right. Know? Okay. So the next question is: Do you think, and kind of playing into Belichick here, do you think? that he's going to try to get some of that leverage back by, you know, as we have the draft coming up this week, is he going to look, you know, to draft a quarterback? Right now the Patriots have two first-round picks. They're 23 and 31. That 23rd pick they obtained from the Rams by uh, sending Brandon Cooks to uh, to L.A. 
uh, in a, you know, maybe, I don't know if that you consider that move a shocker at all. I guess nothing really. I was kind of disappointed. I liked him. Yeah, I mean, I liked him too, but. um, You know, it's, they got a, they got a lot of receivers on that team. And, you know, one thing we always talked about last year when watching the games is he doesn't have a lot of, you know, yardage after catch. I mean, yeah, he can, he can, he can go, but, you know, he catches the ball. It seems like he doesn't go any, any more from there. So did they think that that, you know, was a reason to let him go? Yeah, I mean, they have a lot of receivers. They got Mitchell coming back. Jordan uh, Matthews, who they uh, uh, signed. Uh, yeah, they, free and I guess and they're holding on to Kenny Britt for some reason. So, I mean. Yeah, they, I don't know what he's got left in well, the tank, but oh, yeah, I know. Yeah, well, they they seem to be able to get whatever's left in the tank. They get every drop out of it. So, yeah. you know, they got they got something in mind. So, I mean, maybe they figured that Mitchell was going to fill the role that, that Cooks was going to have. So, he was expendable. And they get Britt as kind of like a backup. You know, bench warmer, you know, he can come in and do what he has to do when he's asked to do it. So, yeah, so they have uh, two picks in the first round, 23 and 31. They also have the 49ers pick that they got in the Garoppolo deal, which is 43rd overall. It's pick 11 in the second round. So they've got some some picks that they could use to package together and maybe even with some picks from next year or future years and try to move up a little further. Could Can you envision uh, Belichick trying to maybe do that and, and, and doing it to get another, you know, to get maybe one of these big-name quarterbacks that are out there, uh, you know, whether it's Josh Rosen, Josh Allen, Sam Darnold, who's probably going number one, so that might not be yeah. uh, in reach. Baker I think they Mayfield. have to. I think they have to. Yeah. They they have to do something to shore that position up quickly, and they have to do it with a blue chipper. Yeah. They can't. And this looks to be the year for it, based on yeah. the, you know the quarterbacks they're talking about that are going to be in this draft. Yeah, I think they have to somehow package something, get into the top five, and maybe even lower, and, and get one of these kids and groom them fast, because I don't think the Brady era is going to be too much longer. Yeah, no, I, and I agree with you. How can you? I mean, at this point, the other interesting thing is uh, here is uh, the Jets have the third pick in the first round. Miami's picking eleven. Buffalo has picks at twelve and twenty-two. It's conceivable that all four AFC. East teams might draft a quarterback in the first round. I mean, because, you know, the Jets have been linked to, you know, several of these top-notch quarterbacks. I think uh, Mayfield, Buffalo needs one. Buffalo's looking, right? And the Dolphins have even kind of hinted that maybe, you know, someone at least to be an understudy to Ryan Tannehill for a year or two uh, before jumping into the job. So, I mean, maybe one of these guys a little bit lower, like a Lamar Jackson, who's supposed to be this intriguing prospect, uh, you know, very athletic, kind of goes against the grain, what Belichick might be looking for. But then uh, some of the guys I know that have been rumored uh, with the Patriots and not necessarily top of the first round picks. Uh, Kyle Laletta from Richmond, uh, Mason Rudolph from Oklahoma State, Logan Woodside from Toledo. I don't really know, know these guys other than what I've been trying to read about and hear uh, recently. But, uh, you know, these guys all, some of them are known for, you know, being intelligent, good pocket passers, kind of similar to the type of offense that Belichick and, and Josh McDaniels run right now. And then, you know, someone like a Lamar Jackson, who I guess the Patriots, I guess, brought in, I guess, today it was announced. Yeah, who would be totally opposite of everything they've ever done. But this is a guy who apparently, you know, uh, in his senior year, he passed for 3,000 yards and ran for 1,000 yards. I mean, he can do, you know, he's kind of maybe the next, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of, uh, you know. Michael Vick. I, you know, I was going to say Vic, and then, you know. I, I know. I, well, hopefully the off-field stuff will elude uh, uh, Lamar Jackson. Well, so uh, but uh, Same thing with Baker Mayfield. But, yeah. I think he's a, he's a phenomenal quarterback. Yeah. But uh, he's kind of small, isn't he? I, I didn't get his. Uh, yeah, no. He's a little bit shorter. I he's he's some got of a the, good arm. He, you know, he yeah. throws a lot of tight. You know, in college, he threw a lot of touchdowns, threw for a lot of yards. Um, yeah, I know he's got his, his little 
idiosyncrasies, as yeah. you want to call them. But you know what? Never fault a guy for being fiery. Never going to yeah. fault a guy for being competitive. You know, the one mistake he made was when he got arrested that time in Arkansas. Stupid move. He started to run away. He wasn't even in trouble at that point. So even the cops said, you know, what, what am I being charged? You're being charged with being a dumb a dumbass for running away. Yeah. That's what he got charged with. And then it snowballed from there. But as far as the stuff he's done on the field, it's no worse than anyone else in the NFL's ever done. Yeah, I think a few of these quarterbacks seem to have like these minor question marks you're talking about. Like there's been something off field, not a major thing, but just something that will raise your eyebrows, maybe make you kind of like at least look a little bit more into whatever it is. But, 20, right, they're 21. Kids. Right, I mean, yeah. they're immature, they're in college, they're away from home. For the first time, and they're in their worshipped lives. on their campuses too. Yeah. So they're they're you know big man, literally the BMOC, right? I mean that's yeah. you know. So you know, how do you sometimes not get caught up in in some of that? Yeah. But. Well, hey, I'm all I'm all. I mean, Brady's as fiery as they come on the sideline. You see him yelling. In, I mean, you've seen him yelling at McDaniel's. You see him yeah. yelling at teammates. You know, people on the field. No different than what Baker Mayfield does. And Baker Mayfield is supposedly a bad guy, and Brady's okay for doing it. So Right. They're talking about Josh Rosen the same way, too. I think he's got a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. He's already claiming he wants to be the, the next great quarterback in, in the NFL and all that. I mean, you know, obviously you got to back it up, but... Uh, Exactly. You know, you know, but there's, you know, the other problem here with the Patriots is they, they have other needs. I mean, they let Nate Solder go, so there's right now Brady does not have a uh, an experienced left tackle protecting his blind side. So you've got mm-hmm. that part, and then now let's bring this into let's bring Gronkowski back into this, and he hasn't officially announced anything with regards to next season. There's been lots of rumors swirling around. I just want to get Howie, what were you? What was your thought? about him showing up at this motocross event thing at Gillette Stadium. Not so much the event itself, but that the event was at the same place where a few days earlier the Patriots had involuntary uh, workouts, off-season workouts, that Gronk did not attend, and then he showed up to this and then had a little press conference where he didn't want to answer any questions about his his football future, and he kind of got a bit goofy, even for him. Put it this way. I'm sure the last thing any team wants to see is their – Stop playing riding on a uh, motorcycle in a motocross motorcycle period. So that was all done just to stick it to Belichick, to to just grind him a little bit. Is yeah, to show up at Gillette Stadium of all places too to do it. I uh, mean, yeah, it's on like... a mo- on a on a motorcycle at a motocross. Yeah, you know, I mean, against everything that any coach or general manager or owner would want any of their players to do. I mean, I think this Belichick even... could have been in his office while Gronk was having that press yeah. conference for all we know. I mean... You know, I'm almost to the like... point, I'll be honest, I'm getting tired of his antics. I'm getting tired of mm. this. You're going to play, you're not going to play. You know what? I'm getting to the point where I don't care. You yeah, know? Because we've played many years without him because of his injuries. You know, and if he's going to turn out to be a detriment to the team and he's going to turn out to be a sideshow, I mean, he's already a sideshow, but now he's turning into a freak sideshow. Yeah. I really could kill us. You know, if he plays great, if he doesn't, I don't care. And I'm not going to be worried about it, you know, because there's 22 guys that play on that field, right? 11 on offense, 11 on defense. There's not one. And if he thinks that he is one, then he can trade him, get something for him. I'm sure they get a lot for him. Trade him away to the West Coast and the NFC like they would Garoppolo, and the only time he might come back to hurt him would be in the Super Bowl. Other than that, See you later. Would it shock you if he get pa- if he got packaged up in some kind of draft day deal? Somewhere? You never I mean, know. First round yeah. pick and Gronkowski to move down to number one, two, or three. 
wouldn't shock me at all, and I wouldn't and I wouldn't care. Yeah, and it's it seems unheard of, but then with Belichick, nothing is unheard yeah. of. Anything's possible when it comes to the draft. I mean, and years ago, I used to watch games and, and you'd see guys that play a whole career someplace, and, and they were loyal to this town and the team and the t- and back and forth. But it's not like that anymore. So you know, so let them go. I mean, I see people come and go all the time now in sports and teams. Just another casualty. See you later. We'll 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 move on to the next guy. Yeah, as I, I know, you and I have been saying this for a while, Howie. But we're much closer to the end of this Patriots dynasty than we are, you know. No, we are the at the end of it. We're not closer to it. The, the next well, couple of years say, is the end of it. Okay, well, right, but so you at least a couple more seasons and maybe oh. a chance at another Super Bowl, perhaps. Possibly, I mean, you, know? you know. Yeah. I mean, with all these young quarterbacks that are about to enter the draft, I mean, a lot of teams should be getting better in theory. Yeah. Uh, you would think. I mean, we'll, but we'll uh, find out. We'll find out this weekend. Yeah, I guess we will. I, I still hate the fact they broke this draft up into three days too. This whole I still miss the whole Saturday Sunday thing mm. was better, but you know, I I don't. My interest in three days. I'll probably watch the first night because now, yeah. I mean, the Patriots. You know, you have a vested interest here as That's far as all what they I might ever do. watch is the first round. Yeah. That's all I care about. You know, yeah. after that, the first round, you know people. After that, you don't really know anybody. Mm. You know, that's how I feel. I mean, you might know someone here or there, but, you know, basically that's all the star power goes out in the first round. Someone slips maybe in the second round. But, you know, it's just too drawn out. Yeah. Uh, you know, team, if you don't know right now, all right, you're, you're second on the clock. If you don't know right now, who are you going to pick at second if someone goes first? And you have to sit there for 15 minutes and draw it out to the last second yeah. before you're going to say, okay, this is the guy we want. It's kind of like, it's kind of like these, this, you know, bringing in six relievers in a baseball game in an inning. It just drags it out so long, it's not fun to watch. But, but depending who gets drafted with the first pick, aren't you then as the second pick fielding trades from other teams? Maybe now all of a sudden your pick is a hotter commodity, and now you're getting phone calls from, from other teams because, you know, the guy who was supposed to go number one, say Darnold doesn't go uh, number one to, uh, to Cleveland, then, you know, then now Darnold's out there, and everyone's going to be calling, you know, team number two, uh, you yeah, know, for the... Yeah, but you already know who, if you know he's supposedly going to go one, and you already know who you want to pick at two, mm. then what difference does it make if he doesn't go at one unless you wanted him? So then number two would be either him or who you already had on the board or already yeah. figured you would draft. Actually, that's right. It's the Giants who are picking second. They're supposed to be taking a running back, but uh, that's all the mock drafts I've looked at so far have them going running back, unless Darnold's available, in which case they might take him. But that would be if the Browns screw up again like the Browns like to do. And uh, yeah, we can't discount that. You never no. know. You never know what they might do. Well, Howie, I realize I am keeping you from uh, the Bruins-Leafs playoff game, but I do. Got, I, I need to ask at least a couple minutes here, uh, you know, talking about that uh, series itself. Uh, you know, uh, the Bruins had a chance to wrap it up at home. Uh, Tuka Rask looked a little shaky, and they, they pulled him uh, face, after he gave up four goals on 13 shots. And uh, the Leafs, I was surprised that the Leafs were able to pull that uh, game five out at the Garden. So now they're playing in Toronto tonight, game six. Uh, what, what have been your thoughts on the series and uh, whether are they going to close it out tonight or are they going to close it out, uh, period? I don't know if they're going to close it out tonight, but I, I do think that they're going to win it. Um, I was kind of a little concerned with Toronto of, of the people they drew in the playoffs because Toronto's got a lot of good young scorers. Um, but, I mean, I don't know how much focus is going to be on the game tonight after what just happened up in Toronto today. Oh, um, did I miss something? I'm uh, sorry. Yeah, what? Guy, uh, it looks like deliberately jumped the curb and uh, wiped out a bunch of people. And Oh. 
Uh, Bruins just scored, by the way. Okay. All right. Well, that's uh, good. <laughs> For those of you checking our po- – so are they one nothing? They're up. Yes, one okay. nothing Bruins. Okay. All right. Yeah. See, Toronto so, collision leaves nine oh. dead, 16 injured. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was, it's, yeah it was a big, real bad – Wow. Bad, bad thing that happened oh today up there. So yeah, I'm right. sure a lot of people, you know, the, the game is almost secondary at this point. Uh, uh, yeah, I would think so, uh, for yeah. sure. Uh, all right. Well, uh, anyway, I mean. Uh, hey, to leave us, leave us on a well, the, bad note. But, okay. Uh, well, the winner of the, if the Bruins are able to, uh, to close this out, they'll get uh, Tampa Bay in the next round, who uh, already took care of business with New Jersey. And. Uh, that that probably should be an interesting series. Uh, Tampa Bay plays probably a little bit more defense than Toronto does, so that'll be more of a challenge uh, for the Bruins uh, for sure. Yeah. But uh, hey, we'll but see anyway, what happens. We will. We will yep, indeed. We're up one and, nothing. So. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we we will uh, wrap up this uh, this edition of the Toddcast. Also, let you know uh, we've got uh, our TV show coming back finally. Uh, in uh, we'll be back in That's the month second of period, May. Second period, by the way. Okay, second period, one nothing, which will mean nothing because you may be listening to this this podcast at after any random time. Yes, <laughs> a- absolutely. You know, hopefully not after the hockey season's over, but. Uh, uh, we're going to be back May 16th. We're going to be back with the TV show again. So uh, that's uh, that's a Wednesday night, I believe. I hope Toronto it's a... scored one one. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Breaking updates here on the Toddcast, like that, like like you care <laughs> if you're listening. But like I said, you're listening to this long after the game ended. But uh, uh, but Howie, thanks as always. Uh, yeah. This has been fun, and I'm glad we we're able to do this kind of to fill the void between uh, TV shows. And uh, want to thank, of course, uh, you know your nephew Chris Mason again. You can follow him on Twitter at by Chris Mason. You can check him out on Eagle Tribune. Com. So don't forget to follow us on social media by searching Timeout for Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Our handle is at TOSTBMC. You can get links to the latest TOST Toddcasts as soon as they're available. Again, thanks to, to Chris Mason and to Howie McClellan. And until next time, for Howie, I'm Todd. Thank you for checking out the TOST Toddcast right here on the Belmont Media Podcast Network. Good night.